1 Corinthians 11 from verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Let's pray once more. Again, O God of heaven, most gracious and most kind, we bow before you, we acknowledge your glory, your goodness, your grace. We acknowledge, O Lord, our need of a saviour. We praise you for the saviour who is provided. We ask that as we think upon him, that you would turn our minds, our hearts, all our affections toward the dying, suffering, rising, reigning Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. A few weeks ago, we had a visit from the infant school uh, just behind us in the building over my shoulders. 30 children came in in each of three hours, 90 altogether, and they asked me to speak to them particularly about what they called the Easter story, which I was delighted to do. Now, I asked each of those groups, how many Easter's do you think this church has every year? Now, kids being kids, they know that when someone asks them that kind of question, it's probably the one with the trick answer. And so we got lots of different guesses, but very few of them got it right. The answer is 52, at least 52. I think there are some years you might scrape 53, but there are at least 52 Easter's every year. Why is that? It is because the Lord Jesus Christ rose on the first day of the week. And therefore, every Sunday, which we as Christians call the Lord's Day, is the day of resurrection. We don't have to wait for an entire year to think about the fact that the Jesus who died for us also rose again on our behalf. That is why the rhythm of Christian worship is weekly. It is why the people who belong to Jesus, who have trusted in him, who have declared their allegiance to him in baptism, who've joined themselves to a local church, week by week come together because this is the day on which the Lord Jesus rose. The Jesus of the New Testament is a risen saviour. It is right and proper, as we see even in these words that we've just been reading, that we think about the death of the Lord Jesus. But you cannot have just a dead Jesus. You need also a risen Christ. 
And we must never separate those two things. Because here then, on the first day of the week, is our day of triumph. Here is the day on which we know that the death of the Lord Jesus accomplished all the things for which God had intended it. That the, the work that the Lord Jesus was given to do was done, was completed, was finished, was successful. And that when he rose again, it was as the Son of God with power. This then is our focus. This Jesus, all that he is. The Jesus who died for your sins, but who rose again on your behalf. And this memorial meal, this Lord's Supper of which we have read, holds forth his death and reminds us of his life. Now, it doesn't remind us simply of the life that he once lived, but of the life that he is now living and will ever live. We repeat this, verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 11, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, every time we as a church gather to celebrate these things, we are speaking about the death of the Lord Jesus until he comes. And there you have both his death and his life. And so the Lord's table is a meal that is proclamatory, and anticipatory it tells something and it looks forward to something it proclaims the death of the Lord Jesus but it looks forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus what it proclaims is the very heart of the gospel the Lord Jesus and his sacrificial death these elements, this bread and this wine, tell us that the Lord Jesus has accomplished salvation for all who trust in him. It was his body which was broken for you. And as he speaks to his disciples on that first Lord's Supper, the last supper of our Lord, as he speaks to them, those words echo down through the ages to all who will come to trust in him. It is done for you. My body is broken for you. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This is where I have made peace between man and God. This is where all the promises come to fulfillment. This is where everything that God had intended, every blessing that God had established, has now been once and for all secured. The words and the symbols declare to the church of Jesus Christ the nature and the spirit of Christ's heart toward us. And that's important in Corinth, and it's important in Crawley. You, you may know, we didn't read the, the larger portion of this chapter, but as you work through it, you see that this church in Corinth is a seriously messed up congregation. Now, if you've already read the first 10 chapters, you know some of the issues that they're dealing with. By the time you get to chapter 11, what's clear is the rank selfishness that is characteristic of these men and women. They're dividing amongst themselves. There are factions among you. There are those who are approved and there are those who are not. And so it is that when they come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. There are some who are climbing up over others. There are, there are some who are being thrust off into the corners. 
Perhaps it's a, a more of an economic division. Perhaps there are different groups within this congregation, but they are despising the church of God. This is meant to be a meal which looks to the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, to his love in which he poured himself out and said, I will give myself for you. I will, though I am the king of all the earth, I have come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. And the sense seems to be in the church in Corinth that the people are saying, well, who's serving me what about me what's what am I going to get out of this this is my food this is my feast these are my things I'm top dog in this place and Paul is saying God forbid that anybody should come to the Lord's table with such a disposition as that God forbid that you should come to remember the death of Jesus on your behalf with this idea that you are better than everybody else, that you deserve more than everybody else, that, that you really ought to be the one around whom everything else revolves. It's the meal that replaces the Jewish Passover. The Passover involved an explanation. Fathers would tell their sons, son, this is what we're doing and this is why we're doing it. And there's something of the same here. This is what we do, and this is why we are doing it. We want to see, we want to hear that Jesus died to redeem his people. Bread broken, pointing us by faith to the death that the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished when he laid down his life on that Friday so long ago. And the wine that tells us of the blood that was poured out for the establishment of the new covenant to bring us to God, to wash us clean. If you are not a Christian here this morning, if you're not a baptised member of a church, then these are not things for you to receive, but they are things for you to perceive. We want you to see what is proclaimed. We want you to hear what is proclaimed. We want you to see the death of the Lord Jesus, the sacrifice that he made for sinners like us, so that you too may come to believe on him to make you right with God, that you may see here a declaration of the man who was also God, who suffered in the place of sinners, who took the punishment that our sins deserve, who bore the stripes of God upon his own body, who was brought down being numbered with the transgressors, both in the sense of being hung between the two thieves and in that far broader sense of being counted amongst us and our sins being counted to him. We want you to see here that sacrificial blood poured out the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We want you to find in this man, not in this meal. This meal won't save you. It's the man who died who saves you. There's no virtue in this bread, no virtue in this wine, apart from faith in Jesus Christ. To say anything else is to turn this into the mass, to suggest that if you eat enough or drink enough, somehow you'll get closer to God. No, not at all. It is trusting in Jesus. It is he who brings us to the Father. And this meal proclaims 
that. You come to the Lord Jesus for life through death because the Jesus who died rose again. And it's therefore anticipatory. It doesn't just speak to us, it points for us and it points forward. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's repeated, but it's temporary. It will be repeated until it is no longer needed. It is a perpetual reminder until the end when no reminders are needed. It's not then a physical feast, as the people in Corinth seem to have made it. It's not a selfish party, as the people in Corinth seem to have made it. It's a testimony. It's a reminder of what is both past and future. When you eat the Lord's Supper, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. How do you know he's coming again? He rose again from the dead. That's what you're waiting for. And you look forward to his coming personally. It's Jesus himself. My friends, it's the Nazarene, the man who suffered and died at Calvary, the man who was beaten, the man who was mocked, the man who was spat upon, the man who was scorned, the man who was whipped and scourged, the man who was led through the streets of Jerusalem, the man who had his hands and his feet nailed to the cross and it was lifted up and dropped down into its socket, the man who had that, that scorn and distaste, even from the thieves who were crucified with him until one of them began to grasp something of the majesty of the dying man next to him. The one who cried out in the darkness, it is finished. The one whose side was pierced and blood and water came out. The man who was laid in the tomb. The man who came from the tomb three days later. That Man is coming again. Not an idea, not a set of doctrines, a person, someone called Jesus, who came from Nazareth, who was God's son, who had come into this world in the flesh. He is crucified, but he is risen again. He bears in his body the marks of his sufferings and death. He will be recognisable to us. After he rose again from the dead, you remember how he stood among his disciples and there was Thomas who said, unless, unless I see him with my eyes, unless I can put my finger into the marks in his hands and put my hand into the wound in his side. And the Lord Jesus said, Thomas, if that's what it takes, here I am. Thomas fell on his face. My Lord and my God. This is not about an it. This is about a he. Some of you came to the funeral service a couple of weeks ago of our sister, Ella Lamas. You know how she spoke of this Jesus. That lovely, lovely man. Not some truths, not some Bible teachings, not just a, a vague, empty hope, but a person who had loved her and given himself for her. And it is this very Jesus 
This same Jesus. This Jesus. Remember what we read in Acts chapter 1. When the disciples were looking up as the Lord Jesus in his glory ascended and that glory cloud swallowed him from their sight and the angels, those who were dressed in the white clothing, they said to him, why are you looking up? This Jesus, that one that you've just seen go up, he's the one who is coming back again. Job was able to say, I know that my Redeemer lives. I'm going to see him with these Eyes. Jesus, my friends, is as real as any one of us sitting here this morning. You wouldn't deny the existence of the person sitting next to you in the pew. I can see them. I can touch them. I can feel them. I could sit down and eat and drink with them. I could, I could watch them put food and drink in their mouth. I would know that they are alive. I would that is Jesus of Nazareth. He is coming personally. The body that suffered, the heart that beat, that stopped and that beat again for us. That Lord Jesus is coming. He's coming personally. And he's coming really, bodily, visibly. He's coming in his glorified humanity. He died suffering, abused, disdained. They thought he was the, the outcast of God. But the Jesus who died rose again in majesty. You see it, for example, in the, the way that he appeared to the, uh, the, 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 the persecutor Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. What happened when he saw the risen Jesus? He was blinded by the glory of what he saw. The people who were with him fell to the ground. They could only hear the voice because of the brightness of the light that they, that they saw. Sometimes you hear people talk about Jesus as an idea. Oh, he's alive in our hearts. Well, he is, but he's much more than that. He is alive indeed. And he's coming really. It's not a fiction. It's not our imagination. The man who is alive from the grave is going to come again. Every eye will see him. Not just Job's. Every true child of God will see their Redeemer come. They will see God in the flesh. They will look upon him. They will delight themselves in him. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7, those beautiful opening words when John was there on the island of Patmos, how it must have encouraged him. Behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. Do you believe that that man is going to come again in his glorified humanity? As he went, so he comes. Do you know what God rays are? Sometimes they, you get that strange effect when the clouds break up a little bit and you can see, almost as if drawn with a ruler, the light shining through from behind. It's not a, a phrase I particularly like, but there's something of truth in it. One day there will be God rays. One day a cloud, like a cloud not seen for centuries, will boil again in the heavens. And Christian, your Jesus will come for you. 
You're going to see the Lamb of God who died for your sins. And he's coming certainly. Notice how Paul speaks. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There's no doubt there. There's no uncertainty there. This is absolutely definite. He is coming again. That should fill our hearts with joy. There's no question of if, brothers and sisters, it's only when. We know that the day is hidden from us. That's why we need to be ready every single day. But we celebrate the Lord's table until he comes. He has risen again. He is reigning at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is waiting until his enemies are made his footstool and then he will come. And you and I are called to remember until there's no need to remember. You don't need to remember someone who's absent when they've come back again. We won't need to remember the Lord Jesus forever because we are going to be in his presence. He will come personally. He will come really. And he is coming most certainly so that we shall see him and we shall delight ourselves in his return. We will fall on our faces. We will cast our crowns before him. We will know that our Redeemer lives. Faith will be sight. Our Lord Jesus himself was looking forward to this. He spoke in this way even before he went to the cross. Matthew chapter 26, in Matthew's record of the Lord's Supper, he said, I'm not going to eat this meal again with you until I sit down and eat it with you in my Father's kingdom. He knew he's coming. When he comes, the meal of remembering will be done away with. The celebration of his presence will begin. And we are waiting. We are the waiting people, poised between his first and his second coming. The first time to suffer and die in the place of the ungodly. The second time apart from sin for salvation. Christ looked forward. You and I look forward to the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Could go on, couldn't we? It's going to come gloriously. The Son of Man in his majesty, with all his holy angels with him. He will sit on the throne of his glory. He will judge all the earth. He's going to come mercifully. He's going to come to call his people to himself. He's going to come so that every one of those for whom he died might be brought to himself. He's going to come savingly. He's going to sweep away all sin. He's going to bring his people to be with him where he is, that for which he always prayed and longed. He's going to see in its final totality the travail of his soul. And he will rejoice because of what has been accomplished. He's going to come powerfully. No one will deny him then. No one will cast him off then. No one will despise him then. Even those who pierced him will look upon him. You can pierce him still, you know. Your sins pierce him. Your unbelief pierces him. Your disdain 
pierces him. When he comes in his might, he will cast down all his enemies and he will lift up all his saints. What does this mean? How do we respond? As we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, what should be in our hearts? We should come to this supper, first of all, with faith. We're calling to mind again his atoning death. Remembering is hard, isn't it? Don't you find it so sometimes? How far back can you remember? Which people can you remember? What happened at the beginning? If I asked you, not a test, what did Andrew Coates preach on last Sunday? Andrew who? (laughs) So long ago. What has God in his mercy done? He's given us a meal that proclaims Jesus to us again and again and again so that we can fix our eyes by faith upon him we do not yet see him with eyes of flesh but we can gaze upon our jesus as we see him presented to us in such a meal as this we're feeding by faith this bread doesn't become a body this wine doesn't become blood when this is done there will be bread and there will be wine but the believer comes and faith fixes upon Jesus in the eating and drinking and finds the soul itself sustained, just as the body would be by bread and by wine. We appropriate him again to ourselves. We look to him and there's real communion. And that needs to strengthen your spirit, brother, sister. That needs to feed your soul. This is a meal that ought to bring us back to the Jesus who died and rose again. Our faith is real. Our Christ is real. His coming is real, just as real as his death was real. And here faith can be stirred. Here faith can be fixed. We come also with hope. We need reminders We need to keep not just our memories alive, but our expectations alive, don't we? Do we think Sunday by Sunday this is the day of resurrection? Not just because somebody's put down in a calendar somewhere that today is Easter, but do you come on each one of those 52 Easter's? Today is a commemoration of the risen, living, reigning, returning King. Today I commune with my God. Today I hear his voice. Today I am reminded of what he has done and what he is doing and what he shall yet do. Today I am going to see his face, as it were, painted for me with scripture colours and with scripture lines. Today I'm going to look into his book. Today I'm going to be reminded again that this is not it and this is not all but that my Jesus is coming again and he is coming for me. This then is to stir the soul. This is to assure us of the past reality of the atonement. This Jesus really died for my sins. 
I am a clean man. I am a clean woman. Though my sins may be scarlet, as foul as anything, though my heart may be stained with transgression, it is his blood that makes me white and pure in my soul. Though I am in myself worthy only of damnation, yet through his sufferings I am made right with God, and the Lord now smiles upon me, and considers me as if I possessed all the righteousness of Jesus, for that is what has been put to my account. It's the hope of his present reign. The theologians call it the session of Jesus Christ. It's the fact that he is seated on the throne. Brothers and sisters, that's our hope. In a world full of men and women who rule as if they were little gods or like to think that they did who grieve us, who disappoint us who frustrate us, who bewilder us who make us wonder what's the point we have a king who sits enthroned he is ruling over all things he has raised them up for his own purposes and he can bring them down when he is ready The nations of this world rise and fall at the command of the king who reigns on high. And the hearts of those, the king who reigns on high, and the hearts of the kings of this world are in his hand. They're like rivers of water which are turned wherever he pleases. And it assures us of the future of his return. This is until he comes. Every Lord's table is another step closer to the glory of his return. We should come with faith, we should come with hope, and we should come with love, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Are you awed by his death? Doesn't it bother you that you can read through the Gospels? And it's become sometimes so familiar to us that we stop marvelling at the fact that the God-man loved me and gave himself for me? How can that be? How can I have lost a sense of those things? Here I am reminded again. Am I eager for his return? John on Patmos, he's going to come as he went. He's going to come in the clouds Now, for John, those things would have been vivid because he was there when the angel said, in the same way as he was taken up, so he will return again. And there's John, in all the distress of the persecution, that old Christian man who's been banished to a rock in the middle of nowhere in the middle of the water. And he says, my Jesus is coming with clouds. I don't have that. I don't know that. I don't see that. I don't have John's benefit. Yes, you do. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, which which our hands have handled concerning the word of life, the life was manifested. 
And we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. John's passed it on to you, brother, sister. John has given to you what he himself knew. Paul's doing the same thing here in 1 Corinthians. I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. You can look back through that long run of centuries and all the way along there are men and women who have stood in the same place, who have looked to the same Jesus, who have loved the same Lord. Do you delight in him? Is he to you that lovely, lovely man? Love for Christ binds us in love one for another. If we really are God's people, we should be able to look one another in the eye and to say, as he for me, so I for you. A brother, sister, can we do that this morning? Can you look... If you're a member of this congregation, can you look everybody who is a follower of Jesus Christ here, can you look them in the eye and can you say, God helping me, I would be for you what Christ was for me. I would lay down my life. I'm ready to serve you. How can there be space for selfishness? How can there be space for self-pity? How can there be space for this kind of Corinthian spirit in a church that has truly grasped the loveliness of the Christ who lived and died and rose for us. This is fellowship. Fellowship with him and with one another. It's why we call this table, amongst other things, the table of communion. It's fellowship with God, with Christ and with one another. And soon it will be over. And communion will be complete. His coming is better than all ordinances. Whatever benefit you find in being baptised, whatever blessing you obtain in coming to the table week by week or month by month, his coming will make all of this, however bright it may be now, seem very dull in comparison. His presence fulfills all the promises. And so we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. If you're not a Christian, if you haven't yet trusted in this Lord Jesus, you cannot, you should not come to the table until you have Jesus Christ. Come to the man who died and rose for sinners. Come to the great saviour. Come to the one in whom every Christian trusts, in whom every Christian hopes, and to whom all Christians look with love. If you are not yet one of his, come to him today, that you may remember his death and proclaim it until he comes in the company of the saints. And if you are his, 
What do you do today? You proclaim his death. Not just on Good Friday. Until he comes. Why? Because he rose again from the dead. You are saying, this is my Jesus. This is my saviour. And he is coming again. He died for me. He rose again for my justification. I am his. He is mine. To me, he is altogether lovely. To me, he is full of delights. To me, he is the most beautiful person imaginable. To me, he is all in all. So we proclaim him who died for us. And so we anticipate him who will come again to receive us to himself. Amen.